Hey there, I'm Brittany, and welcome to the Cape Cod Church Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can visit our website at capecodchurch.com. In the meantime, we hope you enjoy this message in our current series. Well, good morning. Man, I have had more conversations about a message this week than I think I've ever had before. Um, And that's good. Uh, Conversation is so helpful. It's It's like a teacher. And all week long, I've benefited from just little conversation snippets here and there and uh, listening and I decided uh, partly because of that that I just want a little bit of a different posture today so I brought my my little music stand and a stool because in some ways I view this as a conversation and I know it's it's a one-way conversation but I'm going to offer an alternative to that at the end and uh, let me begin all of this with just uh, a few uh, credits as it were um, we're going to have some resources available uh, in, our, in our bookstore this week and next week. And uh, one of those is from a guy named Bill Henson who leads a group called Posture Shift. And they have been so, their writing and then Bill uh, himself has been such a, a helpful guide uh, in this journey as we kind of navigate these cultural waters of biblical faithfulness and the posture of Jesus. My friend Brian Wilkerson at Grace Chapel, who's getting ready to retire, much too young, I think, by the way, um, his, his own uh, thoughts on this really helped me to frame uh, some of what uh, I'll offer today. But really, more than that, have been lots of conversations over the years some of them very personal. Stories where I've sat with young couples getting married or individuals going through struggle. And those conversations in conscious and subconscious ways help to form where I'm at today and how I try to lean into this Subject. In fact, I'm going to finish by sharing uh, two of those formative conversations at the end. So uh, there's a lot to come before that, but uh, I want you to know what's coming at the end as well. Now, here's the thing. We're a large and diverse congregation. Um, and uh, when I announced last Sunday at the end of service uh, that I would be talking about sexuality, marriage, and friendship this week, my goodness, I got more people talking to me about that after service than I did the message I just spent 40 minutes preaching. <laughs> goodness. And so I know, I know some people are, some people are excited. Some of you are a bit nervous. What's he going to say? Whose toes is he going to step on? What's this going to feel like? How am I going to feel about Cape Cod Church and Pastor Ben when this is over. And some of you, you chose to watch online, and I understand that. And I'm grateful to have you joining in that way. In fact, I mentioned last week, this is a good week to let your kids try out Kidtown, and 
Uh, one very adult woman said to me after, I'm going to Kidstown next week. <laughs> I thought, well, maybe I am too. <laughs> so let me start here. You probably won't be surprised that Cape Cod Church and I hold to a traditional, what I would call a New Testament Christian sexual ethic. That probably doesn't surprise most anyone. What I won't, will surprise you is how we try to live that out, day by day, week by week, person by person. So with all of that as sort of background, let's go to Genesis, because I can't think of a better place to walk through this than the first few chapters in Genesis. Let me begin with this, this idea of since the beginning. And here's where we should start. Since the beginning, our bodies, our physical being, our bodies have mattered. Let me read to you something and then try and make a few points about that. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27 says, So God created mankind, human beings, in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. Do you get the, the sort of intentionality in this? In the next chapter, which I've told you, chapters 1 and chapters 2 kind of carry parallel accounts of the creation. Chapter 2 goes a little bit more deeply into it. Here's what it says in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7. It says, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, literally here, the spirit. And the man became a living being. He became human. God was intentionally forming, but, but this creation wasn't like any other of his creation. It was intentionally formed body and spirit. Given in that spirit, the image of God. This is where we begin, with a reminder that our bodies are good. But it's also a reminder that what our bodies do affects us psychologically and spiritually, not just physically. And what we do with our bodies, with others, affects us, and it affects them. Now, I said that because it's a good place to begin and to remember that, and this is important, that our bodies matter, and there is no, no such thing as an inconsequential act with your body. In the culture, we love to use terms like casual sex. Well, if I'm reading this right, there's no such thing as casual sex. 
And pornography is not innocent because it's somehow consensual. Body and spirit, our bodies matter, and what we do with them affects us physically and spiritually. You don't have to look long to find numbers and statistics that are startling out there. In the advent of the internet and the phone, pornography is everywhere. Easily, privately accessible. Most surveys tell us this, that 70% of men and 30% of women say they use pornography regularly. Those numbers should surprise us. The NIH has recently done some work studying this, and here's what they found. They found that there is a clear and growing link between sexual dysfunction and pornography, to the point where today, 37% of men under the age of 40 struggle with sexual dysfunction and normal intimacy, linked to the use of pornography. Our bodies matter, and what we do with them matters. I read a statistic this past week that I, I almost couldn't believe until I double-checked. A recent survey found that 5% of people were involved in what researchers call non-consensual monogamy. That's a fancy term for open marriage. They also tell us that 20% of people admit that this was part of their story along the way. And so what I'm saying is that our bodies matter. And when we act in ways as if they don't, we diminish our humanity. And we diminish the humanity of others. Our bodies matter. They are literally a gift from God. And I'm so thankful, and it's why I began where I began last week, that no matter what we've done, or where we've gone, or how we've struggled, our God meets us where we are at. And he brings us to wholeness and beauty that he created us for. He does not leave us in a place of brokenness or of guilt or of shame. And if your story has been that you've carried the weight of that all of your life, I hope you'll take one thing from today, that there is a hopeful God that always offers his wholeness and his hope to each and one of every one of us through Jesus Christ. That's the hope of Genesis. Let me go on to something else about the beginning. It's this idea that since the beginning, we were made for a deep friendship. 
This may sound like an odd thing to talk about at this point, but I think it's important. Here's what it says in Genesis 2, verse 18. The Lord God said of his creation, man, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a suitable helper for him. I'm going to give him a helper that is suitable. It's the Hebrew word koneged that really talks about one who corresponds to. The whole passage is sort of interesting. He, he creates all the animals and they all come by, but none of them were a suitable helper. Now, I have to admit that uh, since we've gotten a golden doodle in our house, Tammy is questioning this passage of Scripture. <laughs> She's pretty sure that Ruby, the golden doodle, is a pretty suitable bestest, as she calls Ruby. But as much as we love man's best friend or woman's best friend, we, we know down deep we were... We were made not to be alone and that we, we crave those deep relationships. Someone who's corresponding to us, who can connect with us emotionally, intellectually, and spiritually. We were literally, since the beginning, made to connect. Here in this passage, as husband and wife, but very soon after that, as parent and child, one of the deepest bonds a person can know. And then later, brother and sister. And ultimately, we would find for deep friendship, a bond where we could connect with another person intellectually, emotionally, and spiritually. Now, why do I say that? I, I think it's, it's good to be here for just a moment to remind ourselves that you don't have to be married or sexually active to experience deep and fulfilling relationships. You have to look no further than the person of Jesus Christ who lived his entire life as a celibate man who experienced deep and richly satisfying relationships. Let me turn the page a little bit and talk about a healthy Sexuality. Since the very beginning, God has made us as sexual beings. But he's made us for a healthy sexuality. Here's what it says in these famous verses. Genesis 2.18 The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him, fitting, corresponding to 
one that can sit alongside, sit opposite of, go through life with. A few verses later, he's created woman, and I won't read everything, but the man's reaction is worth noting. The man said, this, that's my emphasis. <laughs> this is what I'm talking about. Right? That's the sense of it. This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. She was taken out of the man. Wow. Uh, you can just capture in this passage, he is, he is taken with her. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. <laughs> Adam is just delighting in God's good gift. I just want to pause here and state the obvious. Sexuality is God's good gift. That probably needs to be said in church a little bit more often. Sex is God's good gift. Let me state the obvious. Sex is good. I told you to send your kids to kids' town. <laughs> it's pleasurable. And it was meant to be. My goodness. It's also the gift of intimacy. The unveiling of ourselves in the most personal and private way. Sometimes it's life-giving. It creates a child. And it's bonding. It, it creates a, a bond. It brings a husband and a wife together. That's why God has designed sexual intimacy for the safety and security of marriage. I know, that's old-fashioned. I know that because I sit with young couples getting married all the time. And if you think this is uncomfortable, you ought to be in that conversation. I don't mind doing it, though. And here's why. I think that the biblical view of sexuality, of, of a lifetime commitment between a husband and a wife, and preserving sex for that place, uh, I believe it is the most exciting most positive and most romantic view of sex there is. Let me just say it again. I'm not ashamed of this. I believe it at my core. It is the most exciting and positive and romantic view of sex. Here's what it's not. 
It's not the easiest. We should just admit that up front. It's not the easiest thing. And many of us, maybe all of us, have a story of how we struggled with that. But that shouldn't stop us from proclaiming the beauty of God's design of a man and a woman coming together in marriage and reserving that sexual union for that place. Now, generally, a person is attracted to someone of the opposite sex. But researchers with uh, the General Social Survey and with Pew and with Gallup tell us that somewhere between 3 and 7% of people experience what we call same-sex attraction, or more commonly, are gay. And this presents, of course, an enormous challenge. But let me begin by saying something that is enormously important. Our attraction, our orientation, is not what makes us sinful. It's what we do with whatever attraction we have that determines that. And here's what we know. We know that Jesus, it tells us in Hebrews 4, that Jesus was tempted in all of the same ways as we are. Yet, he did not sin. Our attraction or our orientation don't make us sinful. It's what we decide to do with that that will determine whether it's sinful or not. You see, ultimately, there's something that should be said about sexuality. It's the idea that the gift of sexuality is, at its pinnacle, about two becoming one. Here's what it says in verse 24. I just want to go back and read it and point it out. It says, This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his what? Two people. And they become one flesh. This is this Hebrew word, ekad that talks about this, this union, this coming together. Literally two people, both physically and in some significant way spiritually, becoming one person. And it's meant to reflect the unity of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit, unified in one. And the picture and the gift of sexual intimacy is literally two people becoming one. As I understand this scripture, this teaching that God gives us throughout his word, as I understand it, this is where same-sex activity, relationship falls short. It can be lots of things. It can be intimate, pleasurable, or bonding. 
but it falls short of God's ideal of one flesh. Two people becoming one in the way God created them to be. I understand that this can be challenging, and for some people it just is a a deal breaker. But I wanted to pause here just to highlight God's plan, his creation, his ideal for us. I know not all churches and not all Christians agree on this. But to me, and many, it is the clear teaching of this passage. That God's plan from the beginning is that a man and a woman would come together in the act of marriage and become one. Which brings me to one more point before I get to a little bit of closing. Since the beginning, marriage has been God's idea. You may have been to a, a wedding where someone said, this holy union. This is where it comes from. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. And then it says, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. This is why we say marriage was God's creation from the very beginning. It was his good gift to us. My friend Brian Wilkerson recently said a survey noted that 86% of married people said it was a good decision they would do it all over again. I don't know where he got that statistic, but I'm going with it. It's a good statistic, and I hope it's true. Man, it's one of the reasons why, as a church, every Valentine's Day, we, we love to celebrate long love. We're so blessed as a church to have couples who've celebrated 50 and 60 and 70 years of marriage. Man, you have to live a long time to have done that. I watch some of the couples strategizing. You go to the 9 a.m., I'll go to the 11 a.m. <laughs> they know they're in the winner's bracket. We love to celebrate it. God's idea of marriage begins right here with a man and a woman. It's intimate. It's exclusive, and it's permanent. And this is where I began today, saying it probably won't surprise you. And the reason I say that is this is the historic Christian understanding of marriage. It's what we and our leadership teach. It's what we always have and always will. Even as our country's laws have changed around this and rights around it have changed, we can 
still look back and say this is God's ideal that he calls us to. But let me just say as well that this is a challenge. For a gay person who is seeking to follow Jesus. I don't want to diminish that. If that's you, or it's a sibling, or a child, I don't want to run through this and act like it's easy. It's not. In spite of how challenging it is, I have been inspired to have met Christians and read the testimony of believers who have embraced this teaching even though they live with the same sex attraction as a gay man or woman, they've embraced this. People like Wesley Hill and Sam Alberry, who is a pastor, who, who tell their story and bear their souls for all of us to see. That's encouraging and inspiring. And all of us should recognize what a challenge it is to live that out faithfully. I want to finish with a, a little bit of a challenge for all of us as a church with a couple of stories. Told Brit this was going to be hard. <laughs> My friend, um, who I've just gotten to know in the past few years, uh, Bill Henson, who leads Posture Shift. It's a wonderful organization that works with churches around this area. Has said this, which I thought was so true, to churches like ours. You don't have to change your theology but you may need to change your posture. Huh. I found that to be true. Let me tell you about two conversations that have formed my life in this. One of them goes back over 30 years. I was, I think, a senior in college, and I was taking a class in Bible. It was the class the focused on the book of 1 Corinthians, and it had one of the most popular professors in the Bible college. And the semester finishes up, and we're given a, a topic to write a paper on. And my topic was to write on the topic of sexuality, specifically on the topic of homosexuality. I knew all the right answers because I'd grown up in this. And so I wrote my paper, and I said all the right things. My theology was spot on. I came to class, turned it in, and about a week later when he was turning out papers, he didn't return mine. He called me after class, and he said, Hey, Ben, can I talk to you for a moment? And here's what he said. 
He said, Ben, I'd like you to redo your paper. And then he said this. This doesn't sound like Jesus. Hmm. It didn't have the, the posture or the compassion or the love or the patience that Jesus always exhibited. I'm not sure I fully got it. Maybe I thought, huh, I didn't know he was soft. I didn't, I didn't see that coming. But it stuck. And it made me think and rethink and rethink how I talked and how I walked with people. There's one more. About 20 years ago, I had a young man that was a teenager in our school come to my office. You could tell he was, he was just scared. He was one of the most active kids in our youth group. Loved Jesus. He'd also discovered along the way that he was, was gay. He had same-sex attraction. He was living this sort of dual life. And along the way, he had found himself in a relationship with a guy at school. And then it broke off and Tragically, that guy decided to out him to his parents. I knew his parents. They were all a part of the church. And I knew him. And I could see how scared he parents were angry he felt rejected not sure if he could go home his parents had swore they'd never go back to church with him and they didn't I just want you to know I sat there with him and what I felt was protective. I just wanted to protect him. I wanted him to know he was unconditionally loved by our Father. And I wanted to point him back to Jesus over and over and over again. So here's what I want to say to you. These are God's good gifts. Our bodies, as imperfect as they can be, 
Our friendships, our sexuality, they are God's good gifts. I also want to say this. No matter who you are, where you've been, what you struggle with, if you want to seek after Jesus, we want to do it with you. I'm reminded of the words of Jesus where he said, come. Come to me, all of you who are weary, who are carrying heavy, heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. I hope that we as a church will always be a place that says, with Jesus, come. Come to me, all who are weary and looking for rest, that we will love people and point them back to Jesus every chance we get. Would you bow with me? Father, we want to thank you for your good gifts. The gifts of our bodies. The gift of marriage. The gift of a sexuality that allows two to become one in a union that is both physical and spiritual. Father, I pray for everyone who comes to this with some brokenness. And Father, who among us doesn't? Some part of our past, some secret, some persistent struggle, some ingrained part of our identity. Father, we come to you because we know that you love us and you point us towards a beautiful, whole person. You point us towards a picture of what you want us to be and how we can be that. thank you. We thank you for your gifts. And most of all, Father, we thank you for your grace that makes it all possible. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.